Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, we're sorry uh, we're a few minutes late, uh, but uh, they've cut out one Sunday, so we've only got three Sundays uh, to do these sessions on Philippians on, and uh, because of the Queen's birthday... Nobody celebrates my birthday, Uh, but because of Queen's birthday, they cut one Sunday out, and so we're down to three Sundays, and so I've got to do eight sessions in three Sundays. So uh, miracles do happen, don't they? So uh, what we're going to do is... um, We'll do three Sundays. So what I'm going to do tonight, uh, we'll have two sessions. Um, I'll give you a 10-minute break. Praise God. Everyone said hallelujah. And uh, then we'll have a second session, but I'll I'll cover three sessions altogether. Okay. Uh, And then, uh, so my recommendation is, uh, depending on your translations, of course, make sure you read the epistle to the Philippians at least twice in different uh, translations. The one I'm using, of course, is KJV and New KJV. So uh, we're going to move right into session two. Has everybody shaken hands with somebody? Okay, that's good. Okay, I just wanted to make sure you're obedient. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do tonight, I want you to go to session two, and we're going to start there, and then we'll weave session one in on the way through, and then we'll take a break. Now, my recommendation is, uh, it's very interesting, and in, uh, in the few epistles that I've done over the years, uh, what I've done is, uh, in order to understand the epistle a bit, you need to go back to where the church was founded. So when you think of Corinthians and uh, Thessal- uh, Thessal- Thessalonians and Galatians and so forth, it's, it's, it's good just to go back to the foundation in the book of Acts, how the church was founded. So because we're studying Philippians and uh, uh, we see how about 10 years later, Paul writes of the, uh, the letter to the Philippian church, uh, but it's about 10 years since he founded the church, and so we want to go back to the foundation because there's uh, uh, some uh, amazing con- comparisons and contrasts there. All right, so uh, session two on page three, we'll start there and then come back at the end uh, to uh, session one. All right, I'd like you to turn here, uh, the scripture reading, and what we find in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, we find that's where the church was really founded, and I'd like you to, uh, first of all, turn to Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 1, and we'll just read a couple of verses here, first of all, and then go back to the founding, uh, founding of the church or planting of the church in, uh, in the book of Acts. Okay, Philippians chapter 1, and I'm reading from uh, New King James. Everybody, uh, by the way, what translations do we have here? How many have uh, New King James? Hands up. Good. How many have uh, NIV? I'm not allowed to say this, but the non-inspired version. Uh, I'm not allowed to say that, so I didn't say it. Forget it. Okay, delete it. And uh, how many have other translations? Uh, What do you have? 
NLT. I think my son's gone to that uh, recently. Anyway, one time we used to read the same translation, get to heaven at the same time. Now with all the different translations, you get to heaven about three weeks later. <laughs> later. Okay, so Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 1 and uh, verses 1 and 2, just for the present. And uh, because I'm a fanatic and believe that the word is inspired and it's not there to fill up the book, uh, let's uh, note the language of the verses uh, here. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1. Paul and Timothy. Now the moment I read Paul, I think, wow, he's the apostle to the Gentiles and has so much to say and... Uh, We'd have a skinny New Testament if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. If he wrote the book of Hebrews, but at least he wrote 13 epistles, we'd have a skinny New Testament. But I'm glad that Paul wrote these books, aren't you? Uh, and a lot of them were written out of the mess the churches were in. And if they weren't in that mess, we wouldn't have those epistles. All right, and uh, then it says Paul and Timothy. I want to refer to Timothy later on. And notice he doesn't start off with an apostle of Jesus Christ or something. He just said bond servants or the servants of Jesus Christ. So he uses that word for a particular reason, uh, as we've seen in uh, uh, session one, actually, or lesson one. Uh, and then he writes to what is the local church then and what it should be today. To all the saints... In Christ Jesus, so no longer in Adam, but in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, or in Philippi, with the bishops or the overseers or the elders, uh, different translations bring out, and the deacons. So if, if we put it that way, we'd have uh, Christ as the head, the capstone, and then uh, all the saints, and then the elders and the deacons. That would be a New Testament local church uh, uh, generally speaking, if it was in order. Okay, and then he says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So from the Father and the Son. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 16, uh, where the church was actually founded. And uh, make some comments there. And you, uh, I, I've given you pretty, pretty full notes on the, uh, this here. All right, now, as we go to uh, page three on your notes here, and then back to Acts chapter 16, uh, we'll just go to the previous verses here. Now, what has happened is that Antioch has become the great missionary church from Jerusalem to Antioch. Jerusalem, over the years, there was, uh, it had declined, and though the glory of God had first appeared there, uh, then they became under opposition, and uh, so persecution came with the opposition. A lot of disciples were scattered. And so when we come to Antioch, the church at Antioch, uh, which we were called to be, uh, I believe many years ago, and still holds, uh, became the great missionary church. So uh, let's read from verse 36 of chapter 15, uh, just to lead into it here. Verse 36. Then after some days, I'm reading from, uh, still from New, uh, King, uh, New King James here. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back, uh, go back, go now back, 
Uh, <laughs> oh, I've got to be... Uh, I'm so used to the old one. Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So on the first missionary journey, they planted several churches and gone back to the church at Antioch and, uh, and reported there. And uh, just for my own benefit, I'm very strong on this fact that uh, a lot of uh, itinerant ministries when we say to them, well, where's your home church? They have no home church. Well, I'm, I'm itinerant. I'm an evangelist or something like that. I believe every, uh, every ministry, regardless, like on Paul and, and Barnabas here, they should have a home church. So when I go out anywhere and people say, where's your home church, uh, Kevin? I say, City Life is my home church. So I believe everybody should have a home church and be somewhere accountable to that. I think that's our safety. So that's my safety, my wife and I, uh, anywhere we go, and I'm sure Carolyn does too, we say, this is my home church. I'm accountable there if I really went wild. Uh, And I haven't got time to do that. All right, so... So they say, let's visit the churches. They've just had the big uh, conflab there. So uh, Paul and Barnabas had gone back to Antioch, back to their home church, reported of what God has done and the churches they've planted. And so uh, we continue on in verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined to take uh, with them John called Mark, or Mark John. Okay? But Paul, Paul, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the, to the, to the work. Now, uh, that, that would be an hour session on, on this, but um, uh, how many remember way back in Mar- uh, Acts chapter 13 where the brethren had sent uh, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark out to plant churches? Uh, when they got to a certain city... John Mark backed out. In fact, some of the translations I went through, about a dozen translations, he, <clears throat> pardon me, he literally withdrew. He, he backed out from the work. And so this is where the contention is. And the sad part is, and uh, there's a different opinion on this, they say, well, Paul was too hard and Barnabas was uh, more softer and Barnabas was related But the sad part is that when John Mark withdrew, he didn't go back to Antioch. He went back to his mum. No reflection on mum, but he went back to his mum and back to home. He never went to Antioch. Maybe if he'd gone back to Antioch, somebody could have put him on the spot and say, well, John Mark, what are you doing here? Was it too tough out there? Planting churches and everything like that. Well, it was. It was too tough for him. So instead of going back to Antioch, he went back to, uh, uh, back to mum and uh, back to his mum, yeah, and his mum and his home. All right, so let's continue on that. That's just very brief on that. I'd like to spend an hour on that, but we don't have that type of time. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia uh, and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas 
a prophet and, and departed, being commended by the brethren to the, uh, the grace of God. Eventually, uh, we find that in the Timothy, uh, John Mark becomes profitable to Paul and uh, Barnabas had worked on him and everything like that. So uh, it was probably, um, you know, faults on both sides and rights on both sides. Uh, I've seen this over the years. Anyway, so contention, imperfect ministries, Barnabas and Saul, they had a tiff there and separated. The sad part in my mind is that the Holy Spirit in Antioch had said to Barnabas, uh, said publicly somehow in the meeting, probably through, through the prophets or teachers, separate me Barnabas and Saul to the work whereunto I have called them. So Barnabas took John Mark with him, being a relative and young fella, and so, but he didn't have the stickability. And so that's why I think one of the reasons he didn't go back to Antioch, where they'd been sent out from, but he went back to uh, his home and back to his mother. So the contention was great, so, uh, so great be- between them. And the sad thing is, in my mind, we never see Barnabas and Saul, or Paul as he became, we never see them ever working together again. But we see Paul taking Silas, Paul an apostle, and Silas a prophet, and an apostle and prophet working together as they go out on this one, their second missionary uh, trip here. <clears throat> All right, so uh, let's continue on there. So uh, uh, in verse 41, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then uh, continue on into chapter 16. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there uh, named Timothy. And remember the epistle to the Philippians came from Paul and Timothy. And uh, I know I'm indulging a little bit here, but the sad thing is that I think Timothy took John Mark's place. But later on, when Timothy wrote one of the epistles, and I've got to watch I don't cry on this, I get a bit emotional on this, that uh, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, bring John Mark with you for he's profitable to me in the ministry. And it's only sanctified imagination, but I can imagine Timothy talking to John Mark and say, John, Paul mentioned your name specifically in my letter. He did? What did he say? He said, bring John Mark with me. He's profitable. Huh. Yeah, I'm sorry to be emotional about this, but I feel it because I think it's Timothy and uh, John Mark went to Rome where Paul was in prison. We'll be talking about that tonight. He said, I remember years ago when I was sent out from the church in Antioch and when we got to Pamphylia and I saw what's happening and the tough work on planting churches, I just backed out. I, I said, I, I've had a belly full of this. I'm going home to mum. And how he kicked himself. And then said to Timothy, I think you took my place. Paul could have written to John Mark, but he wrote First and Second Timothy and then Titus. And I think he kicked himself as he looked back over those years. 
wasted years. Yeah, that's, that's it. All right, well, let me, let me continue on and get my emotions together. So he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Now, you've put yourself in this uh, kid's place. His, t- his mother is a Jewess. His father is a Greek. So somewhere in the kid, there's a uh, Jew and Gentile. God was going to use this to bridge the, bridge the gap between the Gentiles and yet between the Jews. So his mother's a, a Jewish woman. His father's Greek. But I've underlined certain words here. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Timothy is a good young fella. He's got potential. We believe there's a call of God on his life. Wow. So what was the result? Paul wanted to have him go with him and took and circumcised him uh, because of the Jews that were in that region. Now notice this. I'll say this on the way through. Paul didn't believe in circumcision, but he says in Corinthians, he said, I became all men, all things to all men, if I might win some. So to the Jew, I became like a Jew, and to the Gentile, I become like a Gentile, to those who are without law, without law, but not being without law or lawless, but under the law to Christ. So Paul adjusted some things, and uh, a little bit of sanctified imagination here, because uh, John Mark and, uh, and Timothy here, when they're on the way to Rome, I wonder, I wonder in my sanctified imagination, I wonder if uh, Timothy said to uh, John Mark, oh yeah, I had to get circumcised at my age. Oh boy, that, that hurt. Uh, you women wouldn't understand anyway, so just hold it there. Uh, so you can imagine the conversation that went on. Anyway, Paul wanted to have him go with him and not believe, not believing in circumcision, but circumcise him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew his father was a Greek. So as they went through the cities, uh, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, uh, which were determined by the apostles and elders at uh, Jerusalem in the previous chapter, chapter 15. So the churches were strengthened in the uh, faith and increased in number daily. All right, now let's go on to verse uh, 6. Now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia uh, to the, and the region of Galatia, they were... Now I want you to notice this, and uh, if you just go to your notes a moment on page 3 here, uh, under letter A... Paul and, uh, Paul and Silas, we start off with, commended by the brethren uh, to the grace of God, strengthening the churches in Syria and Galatian province. So this is Paul's second missionary journey. And then later A, we have the ministry of Derby and Lystra. Uh, yeah, Lystra. Paul chooses Timothy for the apostolic team. Timothy, probably, uh, as I said, there's a difference of opinion on this, but when you put all the puzzle together, you get a, quite a story. Uh, Timothy probably replaces John Mark. Timothy probably converted uh, as a convert under Paul's ministry on his first missionary journey. Then she calls him uh, his son, begotten in the faith. And scripture tells us he was a disciple. 
So one under discipline, a learner, he's son of a Jewish, uh, Jewess, his father being a Greek. He's well reported of by the brethren and proven in the local church. I'm strong on the local church. I, I really get agitated with people who knock the local church and say, God's finished with the church. Uh, no, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. He'll never be finished with his body. As I think I've said before, I love my wife with all her faults. And she loves me with all my faults. Did, did you say amen? <laughs> Louder. Nobody heard that. Okay. And, and if Christ loves the church and gave himself for the church with all our warts and wrinkles and spots and blemishes, how much more should we love the church? So when people talk to me about the, uh, uh, the emerging church and say, well, what are you emerging to? What are you emerging from? See, don't knock the church. I said, what do you belong to? All right, so I'm, I'm sold on the church. Thank you, Kevin. <clears throat> now, notice this. Uh, I've got to finish this part here. So well reported by the brethren and proven in the, in the local church, which I believe everybody should be, every member should be proven in the local church. Paul takes him to be with him on the team. Timothy submitted to circumcision, even though Paul did not believe in the right. Uh, as we see in Galatians, in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters, uh, but because of First Corinthians that he might win both Jews and Gentiles. Timothy somewhere is brought before the presbytery and receives the laying of hands and prophetic words, and then he's trained as a son in the faith, and uh, we see this beautiful father-son relationship uh, between... Um, uh, Paul and Timothy and Titus also some uh, and and God in his mercy has given me some Timothys over the years and uh, just like Mo, uh, Joshua was trained under Moses Elisha was trained under uh, Elijah and Saul and David a, a good point to make here is that under some leaders I've learned what not to do and under some leaders I've learned what to do so make, I used to tell the students at Bible College, Portland, I say, make every meeting a learning experience. You'll learn what to do, and you'll learn what not to do. So under, under David and Saul, what did David learn under Saul? He learned what not to do. So make everything a learning experience. Every meeting I come to, I purposely do this. I take notes and people sometimes say to me, Kevin, why do you take notes? You've been there and done that. I said, no, I'd like to take notes to encourage the speaker. I'd like to take notes to set an example to others and so forth. And I always can pick up some little, uh, little seed that I can grow a tree on and they'll never recognize it. Uh, the speaker won't, you know. So uh, just learning, make a, gl- a learning experience. So Jesus and the twelve, what the twelve under, un- learned under him, one drop out, Judas, and Paul and Timothy, a father-son relationship. That's it. Okay, now I want you to notice as we go on to letter B here, got a lot of material to cover. Uh, letter B, recognizing divine sovereignty. Now I want you to, if you can keep your Bibles open and follow along with me, whatever translation you have, that's fine. Now notice in verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the, by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. 
Now, not only that is that verse because it seems contradictory. Jesus has said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all nations, and here there's this word that seems contradictory. They were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And then to add to that, in verse 7 it says, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of the Lord did not permit them. Now, you put yourself in Saul's position, or Paul as he, he came to be known then. You know, oh, I just feel the Holy Spirit has said to me not to preach the word. Oh, that, that, that's, the, that's the devil. That's not the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to every creature and make disciples of all nations. How can that be the Holy Spirit? But see, Paul somehow, he recognized, I've got it on the notes there, divine sovereignty because you see they were wanting to go into Bithynia and uh, what I'd recommend uh, between now and the coming of Jesus look up a map I looked up some maps uh, as I was preparing for this uh, session tonight of some of Paul's missionary journeys and as I was looking up at Bithynia Paul's wanting to go up there but you see the thing is and this is hard for us to realize The Holy Spirit knows when every city is ready for the gospel. We don't. And see, later on they would go to Bithynia, and they would go another way, but in the Spirit's time. And I often often tell people, ministers who have talked to me, I say, you've got to have God's time, God's way, and God's method of doing a thing. These three things, you can have God's time. And be out of God's time. Moses was 40 years out of God's time. Uh, He was 40 years too early. 40 years in the backside of the desert. And then God's time. And God's method, you know. uh, uh, Paul Moses, he tried to kill them one at a time and left their feet sticking out of the sand. Those three things have got to correspond. God's time, God's way, and God's methods. Those three And if you only have two, not right. So Bithynia was not ready for the gospel yet. They were not ready for the word. And so that would come in due time. But Paul had to go through some other cities uh, here. So getting to know the voice of the Spirit, as I've got on the notes there, um, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia and forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to Bithynia uh, they were hindered by the Spirit. Now, what happens? So in verse 8, So passing uh, by Mysia, or Mysia, uh, they came down to Troas. And now, notice this, because, uh, you know, this is the background of the church of Philippi. Philippi. Before he writes the epistle about 10 la- years later, uh, this is how the church was founded. And uh, in verse 9, we're told, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and notice this translation says, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, in Macedonia, that's where Philippi was. So you picture yourself, I've just been hindered. We wanted to go to Bithynia. The Spirit, Holy Spirit told me not to preach the word there. They're not ready for it. I just feel frustrated, but a vision. 
And remember, in those days, they had no television. They had to have a vision. Do you depend on vision or television? Okay, we won't ask that question. Okay, so appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia. Now, after he had seen the vision, and we can, you know, a lot of it's left to our imagination. Uh, I, I can imagine Paul waking up. Listen, guys, I had a vision from the Lord and all this frustration about, you know, we're not to preach the word in Asia, not yet. And we're not to, and the Spirit of the Lord just hindered and frustrated us in every way. But I've had a vision. And what, what do you see in the vision? I saw this man of Macedonia, and as we'll see in a moment, it has a little touch of humor on it. The man of Macedonia. So man of Macedonia. And uh, this man's pleading with me. And he said, said to me in the, in the vision, come over to Macedonia and help us. So after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. How many believe the word is inspired? And so often we surface read the word and miss this. Therefore, in verse 11, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to uh, Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, And from there to Philippi. Okay, now here we begin. Now what happens in Philippi? And this is, it has its touch of humor about it. From there to Philippi, which is the foremost part of a city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And so it was a Roman colony actually. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, now notice here. uh, uh, Let me read the passage anyway. Notice... What happens? It's nothing but women, women, woman, woman, women. See? I thought you said a man of Macedonia. Well, he was, was a man in my vision, but there's nothing but a bunch of women here. All the women said, Hallelujah. hallelujah. Uh, th- uh, th- th- be encouraged, ladies, because this is how the church started in Philippi. God knows. Okay. And so maybe God, in his mercy, didn't show. Paul, a woman, oh, a woman, a man of Macedonia, come and help us. Oh, I'm looking for the man. <laughs> well, we'll continue. Are you enjoying this? Are you getting something out? Okay. So from the verse 12, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Probably waiting on the Lord, trying to get the mind of God, and where's this man? (laughs) And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city on the riverside, to the riverside, pardon me, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Oh, where's this fitting with my vision? A bunch of women at a prayer meeting. Now, uh, as I've got on the notes there, um, a vision of the Lord uh, under, uh, under letter B here. There's no contradiction in Matthew 28 uh, or Mark 16. The Holy Spirit knows which cities are ready for the gospel word. And uh, I, I think it's years since I've mentioned this, but it's really important in, in my mind, in my understanding, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through to 5, those few verses 
are the key verses to the whole of the book of Acts and the whole of the Bible. So let me ask you a question. How many believe that the Spirit comes first or the Word comes first? How many believe uh, the Word comes first? Put up, put up your hands. How many believe the Spirit comes first? How many haven't got a hand and a chicken and finally getting caught? All right, this is what we see. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and, the, uh, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved, fluttered like a dove over the waters. And then God, God said. So first the Spirit, then the Word. Now, it's not totally our, our, our thought tonight, but you see, all through the book of Acts, it was first the Spirit, then the Word. And chapter after chapter gives us, this is the key to the thing. Chapter after chapter. So uh, what had happened in Acts chapter 1? Jesus had just gone back to heaven, and uh, uh, he said, go and preach the gospel to every creature, but, everybody say but, but tarry in Jerusalem until you be endured with power from on high, and you receive the Holy Spirit not many days hence. Now they could have said, wait in ten days in the upper room and say, oh, you know, we're prayed out there and the world's perishing. You know, let's go out and preach the word. He said, preach the word. But Jesus said, wait for the Spirit. Then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Then Peter got up and preached. Three thousand souls were saved. Well, it's always first the Spirit. As I've got on the notes there, the Spirit precedes the Word. The Spirit first, then the Word. This is the key to the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 1 and 2, Acts chapter 8. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and join yourself to this chariot. And he said, he was reading the Word. He said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, I don't know. But the Spirit said, See, the Spirit, uh, that's why I feel we need to, as a Pentecostal church, we need to depend more on the Holy Spirit. Because He knows. He, he knows people's hearts. That's why, you know, last night we were watching the television, the television, and uh, just seeing some marvelous testimonies of uh, 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 Islamic people coming to the Lord. And how they've had visions and, and dreams and, uh, and this man in white appearing to them and saying, follow me. God in his sovereignty is doing some things. Where we can't get in, God is sovereign. And it's not, you can get into fatalism or you can get into faith. I have more faith in the sovereignty of God, don't you? Anyway, so uh, continue there. So the key to the book of Acts, the spirit will never violate or contradict the word he inspired. The spirit and the word agree uh, in his will, his time, his spirit, his word and his way uh, for all cities and all places. Okay, then under letter C, uh, which we're on now, they came to Philippi, prayer meeting uh, by the riverside. Now, when you go back to Psalm 137, uh, and I think, I think, this is where these uh, prayer meetings originated, that they had no synagogue in Babylon. They were in Babylonian captivity, so they would go down by the riverside. And then it says in the psalm, uh, we gathered by the rivers of Babylon, and we hung our harp on the willow tree. We wept when we remembered Zion. We're in a strange land. How can we sing the song of the Lord in a strange land? And, and, and spiritually, when people get into Babylon, 
which is spiritual confusion, they lose their song. There's no song of the Lord. That happens to churches. That's what we, we've got to watch, that we don't lose that song of the Lord. When we get into a Babylonian uh, confused, which Babylon means confusion, and we lose that song of the Lord, hung their harps on the willow tree. So God help us. Yeah. So prayer meeting by the riverside, probably no synagogue in the city. Uh, Psalm 137 verse 1, as at Babylon. And then notice what happened. <clears throat> so down by the riverside, a bunch of women who met there for prayer. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira, or think of the church, uh, one of the churches in Revelation, who worshipped God. And uh, if you haven't marked your Bible, or depends on your translation, of course, uh, I circle this word. The Lord opened her heart. Open heart. The Lord knows the heart. He sees the heart. He can open the heart because everybody, I mean, you know, before we came to Christ, all of us had closed hearts. But somewhere in a meeting or somebody witnessing to us, somewhere God opened our heart. How many can say amen? See, he's the heart maker. He's the heart opener. And see, as I've got on the notes there, a woman who worshipped God, whose heart the Lord opened from Thyatira, we assume that one in Revelation 2, open heart, and we're told she gave heed to the word. Preach the word there. Open her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And then when she and her household, this is how the church began. I, I think of dear brother Richard's got to be with the Lord. He started uh, Wavery Christian Fellowship in those days. Um, what do we call it in those days? Oh, I'm getting old. What was it called? Waverly Mission. Waverly Mission. <laughs> Waverly Mission uh, with about three people in a home meeting. Now uh, Mark's up to, what, 9,000 people. But just a home meeting. Just a bunch of women. That's all. Praise God. Everybody says, you women should be sh shouting. Yeah. Uh, so when she and her household were baptized, so baptism, so responded to the word, open heart, and then water baptism, she begged us, begged us, not, not, not just, oh, would you please come just out. She begged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. I've gotten on the notes there. Open heart, gave heed to the word, open house, the church in her house. Just think, that's how the church began in Philippi. Open heart, open house, and then water baptism and her household. Then it gets really tough now. Still in Philippi. I don't know, you know, it's left to our imagination. I wonder if any of the guys said to Paul, you said a man of Macedonia in your vision and we've had nothing but women, women, women. <laughs> a, wo a woman's prayer meeting and now there's Lydia. <laughs> you know. Now, look, look at verse 16, it gets worse. Now it happened as we went to prayer, 
that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. And those of you who have marginal reference, uh, she had a fortune-telling spirit. Uh, I think it's on uh, my notes here. She had a spirit of python to enable her to tell. And, and, and the devil is the, the devil. Uh, he's, the, he's the Satan, the liar, and everything. like. He is the serpent. So what happened? She's possessed with a spirit of fortune-telling, divination matters, who brought her her masters much uh, profit by fortune-telling. The girl, and now, what what do you do with this? This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed. Now, just think, I mean, what a wonderful... Would you come to the meeting, please, and testify? These servants are the servants of the Most High God. They show unto us the way of salvation. What a testimony. But you see, it was the wrong spirit. And Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit and discerning of spirits, he was greatly annoyed. He turned and said to the spirit... I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, masculine, came out that very hour. He's a masculine spirit in a woman. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe then the multitude rose up together against them and magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods and when they had laid many stripes on them they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely having received such a charge he received He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Well, this is great. I mean, I get a vision from God. I see a man, a Macedonia, and then we're told to preach the word here. And the Lord sends us down to a woman's prayer meeting. And there's this woman by the name of Lydia. And then we're just going down to prayer, another prayer meeting. And here's this woman who's got a fortune telling spirit. I mean... How can you begin a church with a bunch of women? <laughs> just uh, some sanctified imagination. Now, you just put yourself in their position because you see, as we're going to end up in a few moments here, I think, uh, Paul is writing to the Philippians from prison. They began the church with a prison experience. So look at it. They're beaten. They're put in the inner prison uh, so that they had eternal security, double security there, you know, uh, everything like that. So they're not feeling like it. They're not feeling very good. They're in prison. And, uh, you know, I'm amazed. I was amazed at the people that God put in prison. I had a few of them here. Um, 
You think of Joseph's prison experience? Why do you think the Lord uh, let Joseph get into prison? Because it says day by day, Potiphar's wife hassled him for, for immorality. And so as, she, as he fled, she grabbed his tunic and said, this is the evidence. And see, the Bible says, God will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but with, 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 will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. And see, prison was Joseph's way of escape. As he's down in prison, I thought, oh, praise God. I don't like being in jail, but at least I'm free from that Mrs. Lust Bucket. <laughs> but that was his escape. escape. <laughs> Remember that guy who said that at MFI? Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Lust Bucket. Uh, think of Daniel. I mean, Daniel was thrown into prison. <clears throat> but, you know, God zipped the lion's mouth. Paul was put in prison. Uh, go, go back to page one a moment, seeing I've got to uh, cover so much. Uh, page, yeah, page one. Philippians is one of Paul's prison epistles. Altogether, there are seven prison epistles, each having their own particular theme. So Ephesians is a prison epistle. It's the epistle of the church, uh, Christ's body on earth. It's written by Paul in his first imprisonment in Rome. And then Philippians... The Epistle of Joy and Rejoicing, written by Paul in his first imprisonment at Rome. Colossians, the Epistle of Christ is the head of the body, written by Paul in prison again at Rome. First Timothy and Second Timothy, uh, Epistle of the Minister, Epistle of the Minister, Sound Doctrine, Qualifications. All prison epistles, and then Titus. The Epistle of the Minister, Godliness, and then Philemon, the Epistle of Reconciliation, all written. And I, I, I'm glad. I'm sorry for Paul, but I'm glad that he was put in prison because we wouldn't have seven epistles because God had to put him there. Say, Paul, you need time out from planting churches and you need to write some letters to these churches. So if you ever land in prison, write a book. That's what, that's what I'm telling you. Okay, that's it. John on the Isle of Patmos. That was his prison. But we wouldn't have the book of Revelation if John hadn't been there. All right, uh, just a, a few more minutes there. Okay, uh, back, to, um, back to Acts 16. Now, you just think of their physical situation. They've been beaten and in those days, they almost beat them to death, you know, put them in prison, the inner prison. And in verse 25, we're told, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, if I was Paul and Silas, or Silas, I'd say, I don't feel like singing. My back is sore. My feet are in stocks. Yeah, it's not very comfortable. I mean, at Waverley Christian Fellowship, City Life Church, they have nice pews to sit in. And here we are in our feet and stocks. Let's praise God. Amen. I don't feel like praising God. But against all feelings and all circumstances, 
they began. They prayed and praised God. Singing hymns to God. Well, what will we sing? Hymn 666. No, 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 I haven't got my hymn book. But it was in their heart. Singing to the Lord. I'm sure there was some spontaneous praise there. And I like this. Suddenly, and I like what the black, uh, black Negro preacher said. He said, all of a sudden, he said, God's up on his throne in heaven. And he hears this singing and praising God. He said, Gabriel, where's that coming from? He said, it's coming from a couple of guys in prison. They're all beaten up and they're in the jail, in the inner prison. And they're praying and singing hymns to God. Oh, and God began to tap his foot. And as he tapped his foot, suddenly... In verse 26, there was a great earthquake. Hallelujah. So when you don't feel like it, sing praises God. But make sure you, you're really beaten and you're in a jail. Because <laughs> sometimes I don't pray this, I think. Yeah. Oh, God, I don't feel like it today. My wife didn't even feel like coming to the meeting tonight. But she said, for your sake, I will because you're an old man. But God, God got into the act. Everybody, hallelujah. This is how the church started. See, started with a bunch of women, prayer meeting. One, one woman's God opens her heart. The other woman gets delivered from a demons. Suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. I mean, this is awesome. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. I mean, that's where John Wesley got that hymn from. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. Think of that. So, great earthquake, God's tapping his foot, uh, you know, and the foundations are shaken there. All the doors are open, everybody has to face an open door. Everyone's chains were loose and the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled because uh, it was on pain of death to lose a Roman prisoner, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Uh, and notice, uh, notice this, you know, this is all a miracle, isn't it? This is how the church was founded. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we're all here. Then he called for a light. <laughs> Bring me a light. Ran in. Ran in. And fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And notice, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now he's not talking about being saved from the earthquake. He's not talking about that. Anything. The foundation is great. You know, I remember, I remember a little boy. They asked him, they said, uh, who, who, who caused the earthquake? Oh, Paul and Silas. Well, who paid the damages? <laughs> well, God didn't. Anyway. Anyway, so he called for light and ran in and came down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Notice their answer. Verse 31. And uh, I'm going to read it from the Amplified in a moment. Uh, King James, the new King James just says, uh, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Now, listen to what the Amplified says. And because uh, Amplified agrees with my doctrine, I like this. Uh, verse 31. And, and, and listen to how the Amplified puts it. And they answered, 
believe in and on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, give yourself up to him, take yourself out of your own keeping and entrust yourself into his keeping and you will be saved. And this applies to you, both to you and your household as well. I like that. Believe in and on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, give yourself up to him. Take yourself out of your own keeping and entrust yourself into his keeping and you will be saved. I like, like the Amplified on that. Everybody said amen. amen. And so the church was saved. So let's uh, uh, finish on that. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour, the night, and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. We've just had a baptismal service. So there was immediate salvation, immediate water baptism. Now when he brought them out in the house, he set food before them and he rejoiced. And one of the key words in uh, Philippians is joy and rejoicing. He rejoiced having believed in God. I thought he was supposed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ is the Lord, is God. Believed in God with all his house. That was it. That's how the church started. Okay, now let's go uh, uh, down to page four and then I'm going to give you a break. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed that. This is the founding of the church. I thought, well, this is too good to skip over and just get uh, right into a pistol. So... Uh, uh, letter D or letter C, you've got that, a woman possessed. Uh, letter D, preachers in prison, what happened? And then uh, letter E. Notice now, <clears throat> Philippi and then in Rome. AD 53, second missionary journey, church founded by Paul and Silas. There's opposition, they were scourged and jailed in prison at Philippi. And though they are a Jew, yet, yet he has Roman citizenship. Paul had dual citizenship in that day. Rejoicing and joy, praying, singing uh, hymns. Prominent women in Philippi, women at, uh, at prayer, the riverside. Women, uh, woman delivered from Python. Woman of Thyatira, uh, whose heart and home the Lord opened. Prison converts, jail and household. Lord sends an earthquake. The doors open, the chains fall off. God is sovereign. About 10 years later, Paul is in Rome and he's writing a letter to the Philippines. Philippi. Philippians. <laughs> what did I say? Anyway, you know who. <laughs> the, to the Philippians. Opposition, beaten with stripes, imprisoned in Rome, in stocks, his Jew with Roman citizenship, yet jailed. And yet the theme of his epistle is rejoicing and joy, epistle. And he's praying for uh, supply of the Spirit. Prominent women in the church, in the epistle, women exhorted to be like-minded and in unity. Uh, someone said, you odious. Uh, you odia. And, and soon touchy. Uh, no, syntyche. That's right. If I had a name like that, I'd change it to Kevin. Help these women labor, laborers and their converts in the church uh, at Rome in Caesar's household, but there's no earthquake, no doors open, no chains fall off, but God is still sovereign. That's it. So it started off with a bunch of women, and maybe the woman who got delivered from that python spirit 
and then the jailer and his household, they were all baptised. That's how the church began. Just like that. God is still doing it. Hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. All right, 10 minutes break. Go and get some oxygen in your air. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.